You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Craven Cottage, make some noise for the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be discussing the last game of 2022 on the first podcast of 2023. And what a win it was. Jao Polinia at the death, marching in at the back post to nick a 2-1 win against the Saints. It wasn't a classic performance by any stretch of the imagination, but if you can get three points when you're not playing well, that is the cliched sign of a good team. We'll be looking back at that game and previewing Tuesday night's trip to Leicester, and I'm joined by Don Betts. Hello. Hello, hello, mate. You all right? I'm good, thank you. Farrell Monk, hello. Happy New Year, Sammy. Happy New Year. And we're joined for the first time in a little while by John O'Farrell. Hi, John. Hello, Sammy. Thanks for having me on. Happy New Year to everyone. Been a little while since we had you on. And um, we were just saying before the pod started, uh, it's nice when you get invited on the podcast and you get to discuss a couple of wins in a row. It's uh, Sometimes we invite guests on and they have to discuss a, uh, a 3-0 defeat away at uh, Wolves and it's not quite so fun so you, you've you've, um, you've lucked out I have I've been to went to both games and uh, yeah very enjoyable it was too nice did you have fun uh, at Palace on Boxing Day yeah I was with my brother-in-law was a Palace fan so I was sitting with him and his son so I was having to sit on my hands for oh. you know three goals and two sendings off but it was a fantastic <laughs> experience and uh, for them it was so miserable I mean you can imagine if that was the other way around how grim that is you know just seeing your uh, team get down to nine men I actually think I was actually worried when we were against nine men I thought they they, they nick a goal and we're oh. you know this is a really bad narrative for us so when we've got the extra the next two that was very relaxing and yeah it was a I, great day I feel like you might not get invited again <laughs> seeing it from the other point of view <laughs> I think that if I was them I think should we invite John next year no yeah, I don't yeah, think we will yeah, um, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't a fun day out no, no. Uh, let's do some three word reviews from yesterday's game uh, Farrell what are the best ones that came in there wasn't uh, one particular person I'm going to award this for many many people who did Jalpi New Year I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that Jalpi New Year like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there was Kinda loads works. and loads and loads of. There was quite. There was quite. Yeah. I mean, there was not. There was quite a few Paulinia related ones. Uh, Joust in yep. time, which was which was another one. So that one's from Ormondroid, by the way. Was uh, Joust in time? Um, uh, Mike Levy's set piece match. Kieran McGinley's St George's Day. St George's Day. Even uh, we had also uh, Graying Sideburns or Brian Lake twelve with two for two in memory of uh, George Cohen's uh, squad number. Uh, but I'll finish off with a bit more of a happier note. going to mix it up and go to Instagram because there was a lovely one on there. Deus Ex Paulinia. And that was from Dingus Dangus, which has got an, ex- an excellent name right there. Very good. Thank you very much for your three word reviews. As ever, get involved, ask the Leicester game and uh, you might name the pod. It's always the uh, the fun of the fair that we do after every game. Right. Let's get into um, the match. And we should probably start, um, John, with those um Beautiful tributes at the start of the game, not just to George Cohen, um, but also to Pele, who passed away at a great of the game. I believe the only stadium he ever played in in London was Craven Cottage. So it was apt as well that he oh, was... that's a good fact. Yeah, apt that he was also celebrated um, yesterday. But it was a really lovely tribute, obviously mostly to George, because obviously George is, is Mr. Fulham. Um, Hodgson was out there. There was a representative yeah. from the FST. Marco um, was out there laying part of the reef as well just it, it had it, it was obviously going to happen it was going to be an emotional day and um i just thought it was a really poignant tribute to uh to such a great man it was the uh, the hammersmith end started applauding a bit early if you don't mind me saying so so there was like there was gonna be a minute's applause anyway and then they just said something positive about george Cohen, and the hammersmith end started applauding so everyone started applauding they went oh hang on we're not doing the minute's applause yet so they sort of stopped and then they started again but no, to see Roy coming out with a wreath was quite touching. And um, 
the only other thing I'd say is we were we were in the um, uh, I was in Johnny Haynes and the all the wreath and everything they're all pointing towards the empty Riverside stand and my mate who came with me was like there's no one in that why is it why did they get to mm. look at what's there but it's because of course the TV cameras and I said it looks much better with full crowd behind it. Um, yeah. And uh, but no, I mean, you obviously you talked about it on the last podcast about what a nice tribute it was at Palace uh, that they all came out in the number two shirts. But that was great again that they all came out with Cohen on their backs, and uh, it was um, it was great. And as I did, you know, I got to meet George Cohen a few times back in the day. I went um, I went to one of the corporate you know uh, receptions once for a game when I couldn't get a ticket one Boxing Day and um, chatted with him and obviously asked him the. He must have been asked the same questions about 1966, you know, over and over again. I was with my yeah. my old mother-in-law who had brought along because it was her treat. And um, he was charming and uh, chatty and, you know, a real a proper gentleman. And, um, you know, tough that he never won any domestic honours. He's the only one of the 66 squad never to win any domestic honours because mm. he played for Fulham the whole time. So <laughs> that's a special, special thing we left him with, you know, no other medals. Yeah, well, yeah. if you play for Fulham, you don't get yeah, domestic honours. That's, that's, that's part yeah. of the rule, yeah. right, really? You're, yeah. not, you're not allowed. Yeah. If you're going to play for Fulham, you, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Maybe a playoff trophy. For all the tributes I've been reading uh, online about George Cohen, the amount of times they're very quick to mention about um, uh, the fact that he he played for a, he was trophyless because he played for Fulham uh, <laughs> for those hundreds and hundreds of games. It's, it's nice to be reminded of that fact. Thank you very much. It's a shame he wasn't in the Intertoto Cup winning team. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, <laughs> if only it was around back in the uh, yeah, yeah. back in the sixties. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the game, um, Dom. It was an unchanged lineup from Palace, and kind of no surprises there. We were a bit worried about Southampton just because it, it smelled of a banana skin. Because it was weird going into a Premier League game where we were clear, clear favourites. That hasn't really happened in such a long time so it just I, I was going into this game with kind of trepidation not knowing how to feel it's it's odd going into Premier League match where you're actually not like the underdogs yeah I was saying a lot a lot before it was like, I don't remember the last time we went into a Premier League game expecting to win if it was it was quite an odd feeling but obviously we, we could t- we could take confidence going into it from the fact that you know the only team to, 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 to really get beat us by a convincing margin and outplay us so far was Newcastle when we got Chalaba sent off after eight minutes. I think going to this game, it was, I don't think necessarily it was, it was about performance in this game, which we'll get on to, but I said it was about getting the three points and keeping the good run of form going, bouncing back after the two late defeats before the World Cup. But yeah, it was weird going into the game expecting to get the three points, but thankfully the guys did. But I said it was, it was actually nice to see us get a result, get the three points when actually we probably didn't play up to our best and it was nice to see we can still grind out uh, the result and getting the three points yesterday. Yeah, Farrell, uh, Nathan Jones has had two trips to Craven Cottage this year. One was a 7-0 defeat and uh, the next one was a last-minute heartbreak. I bet he's, he's like, I don't want to go back here next year. I'd like to have a good year off going to Craven Cottage. I mean, if they carry on the way they, they are at the moment, Southampton, he'll have that wish granted. Um but I actually thought Southampton were quite impressive. They'd gone to this new five at the back, which I think from reading reports is what Jones was wanting to do. I saw some reports. There was a rift in the Southampton camp because of it, whether you can believe that or not. But it made life really difficult from the off and Fulham just struggled to get their normal passing going. I wondered if the weather was a factor as well. It just, it wasn't sticking, it was it? We were just constantly losing the ball and Southampton just didn't give us any time as soon as we entered the middle of the park. They allowed us to have the ball at the back, but as soon as it went from Ream into the middle, we were just hassled and harried every time. Yeah, it takes a, it takes a brave manager to take on... Um the midfield as Fulham are, you know, as tenacious as they are when Paulinho and Reed and Pereira head on and actually sort of keep hassling us in the midfield and make it as scrappy as possible. And to a certain extent, it really worked for them. It made the game really scrappy. We couldn't get real rhythm to our play at all, couldn't do our normal patterns of play. Very rarely we were able to sort of progress the ball up the pitch um, and, you know, by getting it, by sort of like absorbing that pressure and then, playing it out wide to whether it's Robinson on the left-hand side and progressing the ball up the pitch as quickly as possible. We didn't really see those trade art galloping runs as much uh, from him on the left or or even Kenny Tete on the right-hand side getting getting balls into the box as much. Um, and I think I think that was Nathan Jones' game plan and it, it worked. Um, they kind of brought us down to 
to their level. Um, and we weren't able to create the amount of opportunities that we, you know, we tend to do on a regular basis. But, you know, you know, we have been guilty of, of squandering a lot of chances, but we're also guilty, if you can say that, of scoring goals. And thankfully, when the chances did come, they, they did come to us. And from set pieces, once again, and it shows, it shows how much the work done on the training ground is coming to a fruition here. I think we must be top of the league in set pieces, goals created from set pieces. I'm sure of it. We're certainly up there. I've, I've seen quite a few corner stats of Fulham. And yeah, you had two more to the mix yesterday. Then uh, it's uh, it's definitely right up there. Um, John, it was a corner that Fulham took the lead in. Fulham managed to be 1-0 up at halftime without having a shot on target. Um, yeah, that's because, quite impressive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is quite impressive. Um, flashbacks to that horrible Burnley game a few years ago where they won 2-1 without having a shot on target. One of the most miserable days supporting Fulham I've ever had. Cold, wet. Farrell missed his bus home. Um, oh, it was all... It was all in all a, a terrible day. But anyway, uh, it was a corner routine, John, that we've tried a few times this season. We tried it against Brentford. We tried it against Villa. We tried it against Everton, which is the long ranging one out to Andreas Pereira on the edge of the box. And finally, it came good. Maybe not how Andreas Pereira dreamed it going in. He probably wanted it to go straight off his boot into the top corner. But if it goes yeah. off James Ward-Prowse's ankle, he'll take it. As I, as I saw him take it i thought oh what well, this is a beautiful it was like a volley really it was a half volley yeah. and i thought this is going in the top corner of the net and it sort of took a bounce and an arc and then when you watch it back on match of the day you realize it wasn't even on target and it yeah. was got a big deflection off wall prowse into the corner of the net but you know if you keep doing that and keep putting shots you know into that vague area you're going to get lucky deflections it was a good move i'm just pleased to see a well-worked corner i've just got a thing about short corners uh, myself I just can't bear Sammy yeah. I just like and so towards the end of the game we were taking short corners and didn't get a cross into the box a, a corner is a free cross into the box just always make sure you get the ball in the box something will happen so I thought I was pleased to see it go in and um, William, had, William had come quite close uh, right early on in the game so it felt mm. at that point like it was sort of deserved it was only as the game wore on I thought that we looked less impressive and our passing sort of fell apart and we looked a bit stodgy, I thought, in that heavy on that heavy pitch in the in the swirling rain. Yeah, Dom. Uh, when we went one 0 up, I was like, right, here we go. Southampton yeah. have been opened up now. This is the moment where they've got to kind of make a game of it, and uh, and hopefully we'll exploit the space. But actually, it kind of felt like Southampton just stuck to their game plan. Even one nil down, they were like, right, we're going to dig in here and we're going to nick something. It, so even though that and that that goal didn't seem to open things up, which actually kind of led to quite a lot of frustration in the in the Fulham camp and we just didn't get anywhere near their box after their after our first goal. I don't think we had a corner. I don't think there was a chance. I just can't remember anything really apart from and and but then again Southampton really didn't create much yesterday. Despite I think them winning the battles. I think Che Adams's um opportunity where he went clean through and Bernd Leno saved it well was the only opportunity I can really remember unless I've forgotten one. Yeah, in the first half, definitely. That was the only chance that Southampton really had. And that was probably the only other chance in the game. In the second half, they, were, they, they, were, they, had, they had maybe like a half chance. Where I can't remember, one, one of the players was down, obviously the left-hand side of the pitch, and Leno managed to save it. But yeah, like Southampton did very well in between the boxes, but in both boxes itself, I thought they were quite poor, which I spoke to one of my Southampton mates, and he said, yeah, that's been the story of our season, conceding set pieces. It wasn't, wasn't, a, wasn't a surprise to him. He was just actually, for once, we actually didn't play terribly. Mm. And um, we probably could have got a result, but thankfully they didn't, and we did and got the three points, and it leaves us in seventh place. But yeah, it was a bit of a cagey game. Uh, it wasn't really too many charges for, for either side. You know, Fulham clearly put such a good performance uh, away at Palace on Boxing Day thought oh we'll just repeat the same against Paul Southampton sign but it's never going to be like that in the Premier League that's why you do really just take it game by game but yeah I said it was it was there was it was all in the middle of the park really I didn't think there was too many chances I don't think really until our goal we really we really threatened them too much so yeah it was I think it was just one of those games to be honest mm. and it, it was just, just one of those games where you just get out of it try and get the, try and get the three points I mean, if we got a point, I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world. I think both both teams were sort of, it was one of those games that neither team wanted to lose, especially Southampton. But um, yeah, thankfully their lack of defensive ability from corners uh, paid dividends for us. I brought a mate who's not a Fulham fan. He, he sat next to me and he said, he was saying, God, this is, a, this is not the prettiest football I've ever seen. He said, he said, George Cohen is up in heaven apologising to Pele for this. 
and uh, I went, I'm not bringing you again. <laughs> but yeah, so it was a bit. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty, you know. So for most of the game, I was quite worried and frustrated, and sort of thinking, uh, where what happened to the team that was so good against Palace, even when they were eleven men. Yeah, it, it wasn't pretty at all. And the weather and everything it was just foul all round, wasn't it? Um, Farrell, Fulham conceded um, via a James Ward-Prowse free kick. The weird thing about James Ward-Prowse and free kicks, I don't think he actually scores all that many. When he scores them, they are amazing and spectacular. But I was even saying in the pub beforehand, I was like, oh, he hasn't scored. I don't think he's even scored a free kick this season. He certainly only scored one goal anyway. Um, up steps in for 30 yards out. Just as soon as it was given away, though, by Bobby Reid and you saw the position of it, you were like oh, this couldn't be any more perfect for him. There was a lot of flapping around with the wall as well. And certainly my angle in the hammy end, I was thinking, I don't know if Leno's got his angles quite right here, but I have to put it down. Like I saw some people like criticising the wall, where it was placed, Leno, whether he should have got there. Ultimately, if James Ward-Prowse is going to stick it in the inside netting at that pace, I, yeah. Yeah, at some point you just have to say, Fair play, mate. Yeah, I'm sure Leno will be looking at it with his team. I don't think there's a huge amount of analysis you can do. It's just one. I mean, what a wonderful free kick at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think when you've got a dead ball specialist in the calibre of James Ward-Prowse, that even if the wall was paced absolutely perfectly, he would have adjusted for it and also, you know, made at least Leno work for it or scored a goal. He's He is just that good. I don't know what his stats are on on how many free kicks he actually takes and how many of them actually score. But it's yeah. the first one. I think he scores. I think I saw a match of the day earlier that he, uh, he scored 15 of his 40 odd goals is from set pieces, which is not, which is not something to be guffawed at really. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a really well, really well done free kick. It kind of reminded me of Ross McCormack's uh, a couple of them from the championship all those years ago. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just whipped really well. It doesn't go top bins. It's just hit really well. I, I think into the a position good of the free kick is what causes Leno in our defence the most issues because it's so central. I don't think Leno knows what side to put the wall or how many men in the wall and where to stand because if you look at the steal, it looks like he's just giving him sort of two thirds of the goal to aim at, which essentially a lot of free kicks are. But I think because it's so central, if it was a couple of yards to the right or a couple of yards to the left, it would have been so much easier to just plant your, plant your wall there. Because if it, let's say the wall was on the other side, then he's got an, an entire way to sort of swerve it right at the wall and then completely round the other side. So I think it was Leno, at the time I thought, oh, Leno should probably do better there. But I think just because of positioning of that free kick just put Leno in such a sort of tough position of where to position himself and his wall. I think one big impact was the fact that James Ward-Prowse, so Leno had set his wall up and tried to, you know, how they do, they go to the post and they try and like place the last man in line with the ball and all of that. James Ward-Prowse quite significantly moved the ball once that had been done. And when we're talking about the minutiae of a free kick, and the fact is that he managed to kind of actually get it slightly to the side of Fulham's wall and then still get it inside the post with a few inches to spare. I think that ball movement that James Ward-Prowse does at the last minute is absolutely vital. And actually, it's a bit of an unfair advantage for the free kick taker because the goalkeeper can't then go back and check the new position of the ball. He's a big cheat. He's a big cheat. He's a big cheat. That's it. It's, <laughs> it should have been disallowed. Yeah, that VAR yeah. should have got involved. Is what? Yeah. No, I'm not saying that. With all the inclusion of the draft exclusion of the man lying down below the legs of the 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 wall, whether they can actually change it to a draft exclusion that goes over the top and they actually have a man laying on top of the the wall well, instead, like just cheer- to- <laughs> like cheerleaders, like the way they hold yeah, up, up like four people hold up one. I mean, That'd be a great idea. I'd love to see that. That'd be my position. <laughs> And then try and make them all jump as well. That is not somewhere that I, I'm. You, I'm not going. I'm not taking up that one. Oh what? I'm going to be blasted with a James Ward-Prowse free kick in my face, and I'm going to be yeah, six yeah, yeah. foot in the air. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I'm not volunteering for that. What a lovely image! It'd be like one of those fairground uh, games where you have to knock the the knocks like tin, tin cans off yeah. a off a stack. Yeah. Not, it's not like real age. life. It's like red ass that you used to play at school, isn't it? Where someone gets lined up, like the, some someone would lose a game of cards on the way there, and they're the one that has to be the person hoisted up by the wall. I tell you what, though, Farrell, you're joking. I bet you in the next ten years something you're mad and like a, yeah. a, a team in the World Cup's going to try it. Um, yeah, <laughs> might be this. Might be the solution. Who knows? You heard it here first, guys. Yeah, <laughs> from the mouth of Farrell Bunk. <laughs> um, after 
Southampton equalised. Uh, Fulham made a couple of subs. Um, John, one very good, one not so good. Tom Kearney, oh, I thought, came on and changed the game. Yeah. Dan James had maybe the, one of the worst substitute oh, God, cameos. I love Dan James. I think he's a great player, but it was not his day yesterday. Oh, the guy, God. I told you I came with a friend who's not a Fulham fan. My friend is Welsh, and he was going, now nah, we're going to see it. We're going to see yeah. the Welshman come on. He's going to turn this game around. But he was playing right in front of us. We're in the... Johnny Hainstan, he lost possession. He got possession and ran the ball over the line out of play. The only thing he did of any merit was get punched in the head. And I could go that as going down Inferno's nightclub on a Saturday night. I think Southampton's keeper punches their own player. Oh, really? And we get a penalty of that? just happens to be in the middle of it. <laughs> he got okay. absolutely flattened, though. He just put himself in a, in, a, in a chaotic position. I still don't know where the foul actually is. It does feel like the keeper gets the ball. The defender doesn't really attack yeah. anyone. And it's kind of just Dan James is sandwiched. Yeah, he just yeah. sandwiched himself in between the centre-half and the Dan goalkeeper. But Dan James didn't get the ball, so where's the foul? No, I, I still think the goalkeeper just punched his own player and Dan James was in the middle of it. I mean, the, the point you're making, Sammy, was that Dan James did not have a great game. And uh, no, uh, he uh, he's there was a game before the World Cup, I thought, wow, we've got a really good winger here. He was a, he's sort of really yeah, got Yeah, United, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the pace he's got. And um, there was a game I... I can't remember which other one I thought, wow, he's really good. But like yesterday, God, he must, he had a bit of a nightmare. And, uh, you know, when he did get possession, as I say, he just sort of ran it out of the park. <laughs> it was like, it, it just got, it got progressively worse. Yeah. I, it was just like, at first he like, maybe didn't like run to the ball like he should. And he, I was yeah. like, okay, well it's first minute. Maybe he's just not quite in the pace of the game. Then he kind of like, had a couple of bad touches. It's like, okay, the crowd was yeah. starting to groan a little bit. Yeah. Then there was the moment where he made a really good run. It was a beautiful pass. I think it was Kearney and he got yeah. into the right channel. It's like, yeah. right, okay, here we go. Take a touch, beat the man, get a cross in. And then he dribbled it out of touch. I was like, I oh, oh God. It's a World Cup's taken that out of him. Yeah. And then he tried a little kind of like Rabona flick which didn't come yeah. off. I was like, okay, man, I had some sympathy yeah. for you beforehand, but like, come on, let's let's maybe get back to basics and not try the tricks and the flicks when you literally can't seem to control the ball, mate. Um, yeah. yeah, not yeah. one to remember for Dan James, but he did win um, a penalty. It aligned in accordance with most of the Welsh players' performances at the World Cup, though. So maybe just continuing <laughs> on from that. Well, me and you watched that uh, England-Wales game together, Dom, and yeah, no, I think Dan James was one of the better players on the pitch, but I didn't really say that much that day. Um yeah, I mean, you got to wonder what Harry Wilson's thinking. Like, he's, yeah. he's still like he's now so far down the winger pecking order that he's now below Dan James. Um, yeah, I, I think. Yeah I, yeah, I think we'll see Dan James play, put in a good shift next game or the game after that. I think he's a good player. I just think he had an off day, and we're all allowed that. I think it was the right sub, by the way. I think yeah. Deckard over reads what was it? Like, I don't think he was influencing the game too much. I think he looked a bit leggy out there. I think it was yeah. the right sub. It just didn't go well at all um, from uh, from Marco. But hey, sometimes you get them right, sometimes you get them wrong. I actually think, Farrell, the, the, the Tom Kearney substitution, let's just talk about that. I think he massively influenced the game. And, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work for Harrison Reed. He's just not the right player in the right time. Tom Kearney came on in a game that Fulham just couldn't keep the ball, couldn't keep possession. And he's just so classy, isn't he? Yeah. He just, he did, I don't think he did a misplaced pass the whole game, Faz. I, I wish I was sick of talking about how good Tom Kearney is, but I'll never get sick of talking about how good he is, really. Um, he's had, I think it's easy to forget, like he's had a brilliant 2022 um, as well. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't obviously started that many games this season so far, but, you know, whenever he's come on, he's been very, very effective. And I think, and I think yesterday was, the right game again for him to come on when, you know, Nathan Jones is Southampton trying to make the great game scrappy and the their midfield trying to chase us down as much as possible. And Tom Kenny has just has absolutely none of it um, and is able not just to find half a yard, but also play the right ball. Um, he has excellent link up with William. It must be said, I think him like quite obviously them two have like footballing brains, the size of Craven cottage itself, really. And it, it's a joy to watch, really. Um, yeah, I, I think as we've seen multiple times this season, he's just able to sort of find the right areas to, to pick up, pick the ball up in, find the right areas to play the ball and make all the right decisions. And it, it's great that we have a player of, of his quality to come on. I don't think he's, you know, he's, it's, it's, a, it's a shame for him that he's not getting the starts that he probably does deserve. But I think that shows how well 
that midfield three of Paulinho, Reed, and Pereira doing this season that Tom Kearney can't get into the team at the moment, despite his performances when he's coming off the bench. Do you want an interesting fact? I think this is right, by the way. I haven't like absolutely triple checked it. He's one of only three to play in every game this season. Tom Kearney has played every league game. He has made one start and 16 substitute appearances. And only Are the others Tim- Reeman Reed. Per- Reeman Pereira. Because uh, Harrison Reed was suspended for Man United, I believe. So I meant um, Bobby Reed, sorry. Oh, uh, Bobby Reed has played 16. So he missed one game, which I couldn't tell you which one that is, but um, there is one game that Bobby Reed didn't play. Um, so yeah, weird stat, like to make so many substitute appearances. I actually wonder for, I actually think, I think Tom Kenny is kind of enjoying this role. I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it and we, we'd never know because he'll never be honest enough in official interviews to say, and he'd always say, oh yeah, I'm happy with my role in the team, whatever. I think it's only maybe a few years down the line that he'd ever be honest about this. But I just have a feeling, John, that Tom Kearney kind of is content. He, he knows what he's good at. And I think he quite likes coming on for half an hour when everyone's a bit, you know, Harrison Reed's done the dirty work and he can come on for half, for, for half an hour and just stroll about the pitch. I'm sure he prefers it to not playing at all, but I'm sure most professional footballers want to be in that starting 11 and want to come out and do an hour at least, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a as you say, it's a credit to the rest of the team that there isn't room for Tom Kearney for 90 minutes. But... Uh, you don't you don't think oh this team really has got a big gap in midfield where's Kearney and when so when he comes on he sort of shores things up and he just calms everyone down um, but I bet you he'd love to play for longer than he is I think it's just in the nature of a sort of top athlete that they want to be out there playing in front of people and uh, half an hour every week probably isn't enough for a player of his caliber in terms of from his point of view I think it's a good balance I think he's he's perfect for the role you know, that you just described, which is when things are a bit getting a bit um, loose and a bit chaotic. He just, he just holds it all together in the middle and he's a great um, passer of the ball and a great sort of midfield sort of playmaker. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's just, it's just such a pleasure to watch and he's just been a great servant to the club sort of in both divisions, you know. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, he's uh, closing in on that testimonial with t- the Tim Ream, Tom Kearney testimonial. We all can't wait for it, whenever that comes, 2025 yeah. or something. They're, uh, they're definitely uh, bordering on it. Um, Dom, I thought actually a quite key moment in the game yesterday was the injury to Adozi from oh. Southampton, which was quite a funny moment because everyone, absolute- <laughs> everyone was absolutely like killing him for going down because it did look like he was I mean he kind of everyone thought it was cramp and it was one of those it was it looked like clear time wasting he did actually go off the pitch um serenaded um by the Hammersmith end who shouted wanker at him whilst he had to walk behind the goal um I was saying to my dad uh, I, like and a few people have said it like if Southampton went down I actually think he's a really talented player and maybe one that we should pick up but uh, I'm not sure we've done ourselves any great favours <laughs> shouting wanker at him for three minutes constantly but him going off and Perot coming on I felt like we were getting so much trouble down our right hand side Dan James obviously was really struggling I don't think Kenny Tete had his best performance either when he went off I felt like Fulham gained some ascendancy uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it definitely felt like a big boost for us when Adozi went off because I thought he was um, I thought he was electric down that left. Yeah, he was. I mean, it's it's no it's no coincidence that he, he goes off and then what? Probably like ten minutes later, we go get the goal. Um, and and after that substitution is when we started getting into the ascendancy of the game, like you said. So yeah, I said he, he he's a very he's a very good player, Adozi for Southampton. I think he has been all seen. He's probably been one of the sort of brightest sparks of their poor season so far. Um, as you can say, as you say, but I think about Fulham fans serenading, but I think that's just football. And I think, you know, just let's keep that in football. That's what we want. Abusing yeah. someone for pretending to get injured, but they actually get injured. I mean, you don't want <laughs> to lose that in football. But no, I think you're right. I think the game, not to say the game completely changed once he got injured, but he was, I think, Southampton's biggest threat. And once he went off, I don't think they threatened at all, to be honest. I know he didn't have too many chances in the second half. They had that one half chance, which then I was able to save down, down their left-hand side. But... Yes, and after that, we started getting into the game a bit more. We started getting the ball to, in, into into our final third a lot more. Then obviously, as you and then we ended up getting the goal from Palinio, another well-worked set piece. So I think, yeah, it, it is maybe a moment in the game which people necessarily haven't picked up on too much. But yeah, the game did slightly change into our favour, I think, from that point. Just to rebut Dom's uh, suggestion that we need to kick out, kick out the abusing of the injured players, I just remember two incidents from... Lucas Piazon's Fulham career, 
one way broke his jaw against Reading and the other one way broke his leg against Leeds. And I think, I, I think on the podcast after that, we were absolutely uh, tearing apart the respective fan base of those clubs for hounding Lucas Piazon after, after his actual injuries. And they thought he was down faking it. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was quite do, obvious I, though that Samuel Adozi was didn't have a broken leg. Um, <laughs> but I was quite surprised to see him injured. I mean, it is just one of those things, John. That's like a um, you know, he's 19 years old. I don't think any yeah, you can play Premier League football, you can play in academies. Nothing prepares you for six thousand people shouting "Let him die" and wanker at you um, yeah. in front of in front of a stage. <laughs> nothing, nothing can prepare you for that. It, it was. I think it looked. For, I, it was right underneath my nose where I was sitting, and it looked like cramped to me that. He gone down with cramp and it looked felt like time wasting because i thought southampton are happy with a point here yeah. but what was so funny about that incident i thought was the ref going get up get up and to, you know because he was just it was two yards from the touchline and then uh war prowse comes running over and goes lie down lie down mm. and sort of overrules <laughs> the ref gets in the ref's face and then waves on the physio the physios to waves on the sort of, uh, you know, assistance. And it's like, who's running this game, Wal Prowse? Is it you or the ref? And yeah. uh, the ref was like, oh, all right then. If you And he sort of gave up like a sort of rubbish supply teacher um, and sort of just let Wal Prowse sort of take over that whole moment and be in charge. So that's where we were in the um, Johnny Haynes stand. We were all outraged at the ref sort of losing control of that moment, really, by saying, you can just get off the pitch and carry on the game. And Wal Prowse goes, that's not what's happening, ref. I'm the I'm in charge of this game and the ref sort of accepting it like a supply ref. Honestly, Graham Scott has got no control over the game. I, I whenever he I see him, he's one of I think he's the one. Whenever I see him, the referee in a Fulham game, I'm always just like, oh, it's gonna be just shit. I just don't yeah. know. He just he, he always finds a ways, different ways as well to mess it up. He's got he's got a plethora of uh, different uh, tactics. Yeah. And Mitro had some arms all around him in the box as well. And he took no notice of that. I think that Mitro yeah. sort of deserved some, so he was, he got, he had a, a foul given against him, I think, for being, having arms wrapped around him. I don't know quite what he's supposed to do about that. But yeah, he was a terrible ref, I thought. I just think he's quite ignorant. He's always like, oh, get up. Yeah. yeah just, oh, Give over and, and see, like, oh, come on, ref. Like you, that is why you lose control because then players take advantage. Oh, just. If you're going to say get up, they have to enforce it or don't say get up. But it's like, it, it just, Warprouse was just saying, it was actually going, no, lie down again. Mm. I always think, I don't love coming on here, like moaning about like kind of like niggly refs. I, I was listening to um, TalkSport last night, the amount of Man City fans coming on, moaning about their referee. And was oh, I was like, working on that show. That was great. Oh my God. Just like, please. There was, yeah, there was, there was so, it was so salty. I was like, did you not, you know, you had over a hundred minutes, put another ball in the back of a net. So, I mean. Down. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. I mean, working on that show was was quite a lot of fun. I won't. Oh right, yeah. I was just like, oh, shut the hell up. Anyway, um, not your radio show. The radio show was fine. I just uh, the, the, particularly the Man what, City. Combine two brain cells of Jamie and Gabby. Oh, it's a great show to work on. I said, you know what? I, I mean, this is a random tangent, but I actually kind of enjoy Jamie and Gabby. I think they're fine. Like, I know it's not. I mean, it's hardly broadcasting. Uh, I don't think they'll get a slot on Radio Four. Put it that way. But like, it is quite. There's comedic value. It's great. Yeah, they're quite funny. It's better than Sutton and Savage on 606. Anyway, much better. Um, right, the goal. Um, Well-worked corner routine, Faz. Uh, a brilliant Kenny Tete flick. Like, like Polina gets the goal. Yeah, he's got the celebrations. And yes, Polina's brilliant. And he was man of the match yesterday. But it's the Kenny Tete flick that makes the entire goal. Well done, Kenny Tete. I think given the fact that we've seen so many well-worked corner routines this season. I have no doubt in my mind that was another routine. And yeah. uh, the fact that you you had Paulinia at the back post at the right time, with also Tim Riemann just behind him as well, just in case maybe Kenny Tete doesn't get the flick on quite so right. But obviously he he got it absolutely spot on perfect. And it's just a, it was a wonderful moment, especially after... Just before Christmas, we were on the wrong end of two last-minute um, yeah. winners by the opposition to yeah. actually have one go. This goal was quite early compared to our way. Way, To be fair, good like good good. Oh, I mean, we should have scored. Goals. We should have scored after that as well. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it, it look. I mean, it on paper it doesn't sound great that you know. Oh, we might be a set piece team, but it's that is a complete sort of misjudge of how good this team is the fact that we are able to be to win so many set pieces to get goals from them but 
as we've seen from the highlights reel over and over again this year, that's not how we get all of our goals, really. I mean, we scored so many goals this this season already. It's it's quite it's actually quite remarkable in the Premier League. I think we've only failed to score. Well, if you if you look at it, it's rem- it's if you said this point, yes, not one we'd be above Chelsea, but we'd actually be above Chelsea on goals scored <laughs> after like seven, seventeen games played with you know the money they spent in the summer. It was yeah, it's remarkable. Nearly on thirty goals already. I mean, we're at first of January, and we're we're the top top team in West London, and the entire uh, that's 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 a lovely stat. Yeah, poor QPR must yeah. be looking at that situation just like, especially after oh, was it a three 0 defeat to Luton the other day? Yeah, we I mean, got absolutely spanked by Luton. Um, yeah, John, I, I feel like Marco Silva and his gang just—I I feel like they must just rub their hands with glee the next way they can inflict torture on Premier League teams via the medium of set pieces. Um, they just have so many up their sleeve. It's it's wonderful to see, and yeah, I fully agree with Farrell. I don't know if you do too that. There's, I don't think that's a fluke. You might look at that and as a non-Fulham observer and think, oh, it's just a bit of a crap corner that was made good by Kenny Tete and a lucky flick. And luck. I think that's orchestrated to a T. Yeah, maybe. I, I just think it was. It didn't feel, feel like we'd, uh, you know, the 88th minute, fantastic to get the win. It didn't feel like we're going to score in a minute. Do you know what I mean? It felt mm. like um, Southampton could have just as easily scored on the break and we could have lost that game. We had a bit of luck, I think, really. As you know, I know it was a well-worked corner, but we had a bit of luck to get three points out of that game. But we deserved it, as you say, after the last-minute defeats to the two Manchester teams. Um, but you know, table doesn't lie. Seventh—that's uh, amazing. And yeah. um, I don't know if you saw Danny Murphy on Match of the Day. They were going. He was going. I can't remember the last time Fulham was seventh. And they were going, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice wry smile on his face. And as I went into the loo after the game, there was a bloke going, "We're all going on a European tour." And I thought, "Okay, okay, calm down, calm down. This might be our highest position all season. Let's just sort of, you know, take stock." But um, yeah, does does we deserve to? I think we deserved at least four points out of these two games. I think we're maybe lucky to get. Uh, three points uh, yesterday, but uh, I'll take it because of um, because of how unlucky we were to get nothing from Manchester. Yeah, um, moving almost ahead to the question section, but let's move on to this penalty. We kind of discussed the awarding of it. We didn't discuss the taking of it. Uh, the second penalty that Mitrovic has missed this season. Um, we had a question here from Jordan Forward, Dom. Should Andreas Pereira be on pens for us? His very limited record is perfect and he's a great set piece taker, worth a punt. This is going to keep coming up and... Look, it's it almost even like sacrilege to say, but if Mitrovic is on a penalty, I'm never 100 percent confident. Oh and- no, I, I, I was fully expecting him to miss yesterday when he when he stepped up to take that penalty. I also feel like if penalties are in the first half, he's most likely going to score them. I just feel like in the second half, like mm. especially in the latter ends of second halves, you know, you think about the one at Wolves as well. It's I just I'm not that confident. But then to be honest, like we've never been the best at penalties apart from Danny Murphy and Ross McCormack, I'd say. Mm. But apart, apart from, apart from, and obviously Berbatov as well. But like, there's been a lot of times, even you know, when with Dempsey's penalty record, obviously the famous one when he missed it against Chelsea in the last minute, and then he started to go for the rebound instead of leaving a tap in for Idiga Johnson. But like, in regards to should his penalty take a change, is it? I would say I'd give Mitrovic one more chance, and, and if it's a decisive penalty again that he doesn't manage to convert, I would be looking at Tank Pereira. But so a lot of the time, I do. I always think your number nine should be taking your penalties because you really see he should be the best. But if Marco Silva can see that Pereira is a much better penalty taker in what they obviously it's hot. It's impossible to replicate that sort of situation in training, yeah. especially when you're playing against you know your your own teammates and there's, there's no sort of pressure on it. But yeah, I, I, it is getting to the point now. Well, it, it's lucky this penalty didn't mean anything. It's lucky this was at two one instead of one all. Um, but yeah, it's something I spoke to my dad about and. I think maybe one, I'll give him one more opportunity, but it, 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 at, one, at some point it is going to cost us big if we don't have a, a penalty taker we can trust on to put the ball in the back of it, you know, nine times out of ten like we used to have under, as I said, Berbatov, McCormack and Murphy. I don't think it was that bad a penalty, actually. He struck it pretty hard and in the corner. I just said the keeper went the right way. And uh, you don't go, it wasn't Harry Kane putting it wide. Do you know what I mean? It was on target and hard. I just think it's quite, I think he's quite readable. Like, right. I just, I don't think he varies it up enough. I think he's always going for the bottom corner. I've never seen him stick it down the middle, which would be my first bit of advice, Mitro. It's like, have a third option in your arsenal, which is occasionally you go down the middle. I always think that's an essential for a, for a penalty taker. As Dom says, not, 
Uh, Mitrovic, I don't think one of his missed penalties since maybe the Scott Parker season has really cost us. And it's never come in a game where it's absolutely clutch. Obviously, he missed the biggest penalty of his life and it cost Serbia a place at the Euros, but that was a penalty shootout. And I think that's yeah. a completely different situation. I, I don't know, Faz, it feels like wrong to say it, but I just, I, it's surely something that Marco, when they are so... um detailed about things like corner routines and free kicks surely it's going to start coming up in the uh you know amongst the backroom staff like do we need to look at this because it's the best chance you'll ever get to score in a game we win a lot of penalties and he isn't 100 percent, and he's nowhere near i'm sure it's some something they've definitely worked on i think it's no mistake that um so i've been looking at his penalty record while this conversation has been going on and I think it's no mistake that his penalty record dramatically improved uh, at the start of last season. He missed one early last season against Stoke, but then yeah. after that went on a run of scoring seven or eight penalties, I think it is, after that. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's by accident, really. I think they probably have worked on it. I th- there, was a, there was an article by, I think it was by Peter Rutzer about Mitrovic's penalties around that time last year and whether whether we should consider changing. And he talked about how he was quite inconsistent with his run-ups and that maybe that was affecting how how confident and how well he strikes penalties. But mate, And I think since then you can actually see that there is a consistency about where he's hitting them, how he's running up and all those sorts of things. And that's probably um, helped, helped him a lot. But obviously stepped up a level and goalkeepers are better. And so we've seen from the, the two the two that he's missed this season, that it might be just coming up against better keepers. I I don't think it's right necessarily to change it. We know how, you know, if you take from the beginning of last season to where we are now, that is two penalties out of nine that he's missed, which is actually a pretty good, good record. And I think, I, I think the miss, I think the average is about a third, I think of penalties are saved or missed. Um, so it's actually a good record if you take all of those into consideration. I think it's got to be another sort of like two or three missed penalties in a row before we see that ever going to change. It's one of those that it feels a bit pernickety and, you know, we can't expect perfection from Mitrovic. I think the case is if, if there is someone in the squad and we don't know really what Pereira is like. I know he's probably taken penalties in career before, but he's, you know, as Dom says, you can't replicate that pressure. If we've got a Heide Helgerson in the squad then I think we should be having a think. Like if there is someone there who is just like clearly like an absolute expert, then obviously I think that's absolutely stupid if we're going for Mitrovic, who quite clearly isn't. But if there isn't someone that's a bona fide solid penalty taker, then I reckon it's probably better the devil you know. Um, right, we're going to take a break there. We've got some more of your questions and then a Leicester preview after the break. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy here with Don Betts, Farrell Monk and John O'Farrell. Let's do some more questions then. And we'll start with this one from Jack Walker. I'm going straight to you, Dom. Has everyone made sure their passports are in date? Yeah, I'm just worried my passport's going to run out of pages to stickers at, at, this, at this rate. <laughs> what a humble brag that is. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I, I think it's just... He doesn't it, eat food, Farrell. He just spends it on going on European away days. That's true. Who needs food when you've got away days? You yes. Know, catch flights, not feelings. Um, <laughs> but no, I think it is, it is mad just to be at this stage. It'll just be in the competent side in the Premier League, to be, to be perfectly honest. When was the last time we could say that? On the, on the, maybe in Martin Yell's first season? Because um, even in sort of twelve thirteen, I wouldn't say we were that competent, especially in the last sort of eight eight or nine games. Um, yeah, I mean, man, everyone, everyone get prepared. You know, we're only five points behind Spurs. They lost today, playing them at the end of the month. Catch, catch up with them. But yeah, no, it is it is it's it's weird actually. The thing that me and my mates were talking about recently is instead, a lot of people are still saying no. Wait till we're mathematically safe. We're still nearly only halfway through the season, if that. Um, but are, are people starting to look at teams around as dropping points? as opposed to just looking who's in the bottom three, bottom four. It's getting to that stage now where you're like, 
mm, we could, you know, we could try and consolidate top ten here and even even push for that seventh place and get into the Conference League and have a lovely trip on October to Riga. I mean, what's what's not to love? <laughs> Riga. I mean, I did celebrate slightly the Nottingham Forest equaliser earlier, which shows. But that's against Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the draw was was fine there. It means Chelsea's dropping points. We stay above them, but also you know Forest don't get too far ahead in the relegation battle. I don't know if I'm quite at the point. I am still very much looking at, you know, Man United scored against Wolves yesterday and I was like, come on, that's what we need. I helped that Rashford was in my FPL team. But um, still, I I think... You're still I looking down. You're still looking I, down. I'm still looking down. I, I yeah. And look, 25 points. I did say to myself, if we beat Southampton, then I'm going to start thinking that we're well, not. I also think the time of the year is what people are not guessing, not getting carried away, but the time of year is what people are correlating it to. But usually at this point in the year, well, you, you've probably played four or five more games. You're probably looking 20, 20, 20, mm. 20 23 sort of games played this season, where we've only played 17. We still haven't played Leicester or Chelsea yet. Um, so we're not even halfway through the season. And obviously after, after the Leicester game, we do have that tough run of fixtures playing, you know, Chelsea twice, Newcastle away and Spurs at home uh, with Brian away a few uh, in, in that sort of run of fixtures yeah. as well. So we have got some tough games coming up, but you know, that's when we're going to take the points off the teams around us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just mad, isn't it? There's no way, and I'm not expecting anyone to have a bona fide answer. There's no way you can finish eighth and get in the conference league, is there, with like, the qualification? No, but it's still only seven teams that get through. It's just how many teams get into what competition, I think. Okay, I didn't know if there was a way by you know a team winning if it, like if West Ham. There might the be a way league. when the new Champions League, Europa League, and Conference League formats come in. Yeah. Um, the, the weird situations going on with that because because obviously there'll be I think it's thirty six teams in that or thirty two teams in that group in the in each in each in each tournament. But yeah, now at the moment it's just top seven, and you need that. And you also need the League Cup and FA Cup to be won by teams already in Europe. Yeah, sure. Well, no look, fair when, play place where we, we, we're, we're such... Oh, bring nice, that back. Starting nice the first players. qualifying round of the conference league. Yes, please. <laughs> that would be literally Don Betts. All of his dreams come true is us being in the first qualifying round of the Europa Conference League because we went, got in by a fair play. It's just everything come together. <laughs> Don wouldn't eat for six months in order to be able to go to the Faroe Islands. Um <laughs> In June. I would love. To, I would love. I wish Dom that you had been at like kind of the age you are now when we uh, played Amcar Perm and those games like yeah. out in Far Happy Rush. Days. I'd have loved to see you try to get out to Amcar Perm and the stories. I, I'll, I'll find a way, mate. If I was if I, if I was my if I was mid twenties, then you know I'll, I'll, I'll find a way. That's why you bring back the fair play league. It's what we want. Who needs a summer holiday when you've got the qualifying rounds of the Conference League? (laughs) Well, look, it is heady days and it is remarkable looking at the league table and seeing us um, in seventh place. All the results did actually go our way. Brighton losing, Chelsea drawing. Um, So... Look, long may it continue. There are some games in hand for teams around us, but Chelsea's game in hand is Man City. So yeah. that's not that's not a gimme. So look, we've yeah. got it for now. It's absolutely wonderful. There's a tough run of games on the horizon, but I'm interested to see us play those runner games as well. Um, but yeah, um, in answer to these questions, Jack, yes, my passport's valid to 2029 and I can't wait uh, for Riga away. Um, Fulham Catalonia um, says, with Parker in Bruges and Fulham searching for a right back, is it time to bring Dennis Adoy back? Farrell, yeah. should we save him from the uh, from what's about to come his way? I love Dennis Adoy so much. I mean, it would be, I mean, it's already one hell of a redemption arc. The fact that he ended his Fulham career on such a massive high and then has absolutely been bossing it for Bruges in the Champions League. It, it would, I, I would fear that it would ruin that redemption arc if he comes back. I think a, a strange appointment, not one I saw coming for Scott Parker no. to go to, to, to Club Bruges. The, the Norwich jobs come vacant. A lot of people thought that uh, he would go to Norwich. Some West Ham fans want him to replace David Moyes. I was like, are you sure, lads? Um, but yeah, I actually think, I think it's incredibly smart from Scott. I think this is a perfect, perfect little job for him because I think, I think he'd kind of like soiled his position slightly in the UK with the way that he left Bournemouth and after what he kind of the way he left Fulham as well. He's going to a team that is um, in the Champions League last 16, a, a winnable-ish match against Benfica, although Benfica are no mugs by by any stretch. Um, and um, yeah, they're struggling a little bit in their league, which is why they sacked their manager, despite them being so good in the Champions League. If he can do a good job over there... <laughs> 
And I don't, I don't put know. it past. I, I don't know. It's so odd with Scott Parker. I, yeah. I don't even know what to think of him. And the fact we're even talking about him always thinks that he lives rent free in all of our heads. But it's a weird appointment. I mean, we're a bit hard. I think we're as a as a club, we're a bit hard on Scott Parker. You know, he did get us up and mm. that. But yes, uh, I agree. He's a but you know, the, as a comedy writer. The, the, com- the comic attribute of Belgium was always it's a bit boring. And now Bruges are going to have <laughs> nil, nil, one, nil, nil, nil. And it's like, this is when they're saying, who can we get? We must, we want to, a manager to, to play the most boring football we can find. Send for Scott Parker. <laughs> and we'll, we'll turn every, yeah, we'll turn every one, nil defeat into a sort of, you know, 90 minute grueling sort of yawnathon. So yeah. maybe he's the perfect fit for Belgium. I don't know. Um, He's not the worst manager we ever had, but he's just sort of, since we've had Marco Silva, you think, wow, this is what a exciting, the same squad. I mean, you were talking about Adoy, not maybe he wouldn't come back and do the same thing. Remember how Ream and his last time he came back into the Premier League was just didn't quite cut it. And something under the silver, he's found, he's sort of unlocked his uh, confidence or something. And he's so much better than last time he was in the Premier League because he's got under the right manager. And half these players we've got now are... Um, are much better than they were under Scott Parker. It's it's, it's an amazing sort of gift that Silver has to unlock all this talent. Yeah. Um, Let's go on to this question from Mark Hopping. Um, Dom, I'll ask this to you. How committed is Silver to Fulham? We all know what happened at Watford um, when Everton came calling. Has he learned from that experience? Do you think, or is he likely to slip Amka if a big beast comes calling? My feeling with this is that the one thing that Marco Silva needs to show in order to make it as a top manager, as I think the first thing anyone said when Marco Silva was appointed was, oh, he's not very loyal. He's got, he's got no, he's got loyalty issues. So the only way he can prove that he is loyal is by being loyal to someone. It helps if he'd be loyal to Fulham. So I, I, I still think that I don't know if there's too many jobs, obviously like, yeah, if, if Barcelona come calling, I don't think Silva's going to hang around, but I think we've got him for a couple of years yet. Like, I think we've got some time with, with Marco. Clearly he wants to go in on and do bigger and better things. But yeah, interested to know your thoughts on, on Silva's lack of loyalty or perceived anyway. Yeah, I was, I was, a lot of people mentioned this, obviously, when Silva arrived at the club, a few Watford fans I know, and even a few sort of Everton fans uh, at the same time. I think he seems committed to a project at Fulham more than he seems as has at other clubs. I mean, what I mean, Watford and Everton, they're not exactly clubs who stick with their managers long. Mm. So, I mean, if you look at what Everton have gone through since David Moyes has left, what Watford go through since the Pozzos have come in, um, I think he seems committed to the project here. I think he has learned from his mistakes. I think if he, if he was to leave, I think it would have to be a team, either a top six Premier League team or a team in the Champions League in a top five European league. Um, so, I, I, I said, I can't really... Unless literally Spurs sat Conte and then they they come in for him, like that's in the Premier League. If you're looking at the, the current teams up there, that's the only thing I can really see. But I think I think he's committed to the project here. I think him and the Khans have a great working relationship. I think the having Bamorte, who being a club, who's a club legend anyway, in in his staff is a big thing about how he feels sort of connected to the club. And I think yeah, I think in, in everything he, he's done, you know, in regard to. If you look at his interview with Roy Hodgson on Amazon Prime, if you look at the way how I dealt with the Reese Porter situation, if you look at the way you know he's he, he's celebrated big wins and he he celebrated that title win last season, so I think he seems. He, I don't know. I don't know if it's if he's given a sort of full sense of security, but I feel like he's learned from his mistakes and he really sees a project he wants to see through here at Craven Cottage. Yeah, I I am. Um, I I fully agree. Um, one moment that uh, this wasn't a question, but I forgot to mention yesterday. Um, the uh, the putty end scenes when Southampton scored were quite interesting. One moment that was particularly amusing was uh, well, it certainly wasn't amusing at first. That Southampton fans seemed to throw a flare into the putty oh, end, yeah. and I hope whoever was there was was okay with that. But the flare coming back at the Southampton fans with twice the speed and vigor was genuinely amusing. <laughs> I, I did watch a game once in when we were doing badly in the Premier League uh, in the putty end, mixed up with Southampton fans. I took my wife, and she said that was the worst bunch of fans I ever got mixed up with, and I never want to do that again. There mm. was they were they were particularly unpleasant that day. She said the only thing she could compare it to was uh, Chelsea away. And um, so uh, as someone who's uh, uh, stood for election down near Southampton and lost, I have no <laughs> love lost for those people down there. And uh, uh, yeah, they were, um, 
they were uh, pretty full on, I think, the Southampton fans. So, uh, yeah, chucking flares about. I mean, it's such a contrast to the Riverside stand where they were so moved by the George Cohn tribute that they, they, they observed a 90-minute silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, that's always been the way of the Riverside yeah, stand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Is it empty? Uh, I can't tell. Yeah, no. <laughs> Um, certainly, uh, they've, they've spent their money to s- sit in silence. Uh, it was a, another £90 ticket if you wanted to sit in the Riverside again yesterday. Um, Patrick Bishop says, For newer Fulham fans such as myself, the history of the club is a bit of a mystery. Any insight or recommendations on the best books or documentaries to take in discussing the history and great players of the club? I feel a bit lost with some of the recent tributes, which is, makes sense. I guess you hear about players like George Cohen and be like, okay, it's great, but I don't know that much about him. Um, anywhere for Patrick to start from your uh, from your knowledge? Well, the thing you need to know is that uh, there was a great city called London and then the first great club in London was Fulham and all the other subsequent professional clubs in London are Johnny-come-latelys. We're London's original. In 1905, a property developer said, oh, uh, why don't I build a new football stadium uh, in the borough of, you know, down the road and maybe Fulham will move there. And Fulham went, nah, you start your own club if you think. We're happy by the river. You start your own club. They formed a little club called Chelsea who are below us at the moment in the Premier League. And that's sort of the normal way of things if you don't know the history of it. Um, it's a, uh, the, one other little thing that people don't quite appreciate about Fulham, and this is, um, Again, for me, you know, worked in showbiz all my life. It's always had a great showbiz connection. So Tommy Trinder was our chairman back in the day. And when I first started going to Fulham and we won, you'd still hear some of the older fans go, you lucky people, because that was Tommy Trinder's catchphrase. And yeah. uh, it used to be something that people used to sing, shout when we'd won a game. And, uh, you know, down the years, we've, have, uh, we've had a few showbiz uh, connections. Citizen Smith supported Fulham. Um, Dennis Waterman's character in Minder supported Fulham. And I took along um, Dermot Morgan, who you remember as Father Ted. I took him as my guest one time and I was trying to persuade him Mm. to start supporting Fulham before he died. And uh, I did the whole showbiz connection thing with him. I think he would have, uh, I think he was getting quite persuaded to make Fulham his team. Um, But, you know, how do you sum up the history of Fulham Football Club in, um, in one quick podcast? Put it this way. Some years your name isn't written on the cup. That year just happens to be 1872 to 2022. <laughs> um, uh, you know, yeah, we're there for the, um, for the taking part more than the winning historically. But um, I chose Fulham out of all the different, as an adult, I didn't grow up supporting Fulham. And I came to London, I thought, which club shall I start supporting? And I went to all the different grounds. I thought, this is a good fit. I'm going to start supporting Fulham. So you made the right choice, mate. And uh, you can read about the history on Wikipedia or on the club programme, but yeah, you're with the right club, London's original. Yeah. The only recommendation I would have if you wanted to buy a book that maybe shows a bit of an insight into kind of like the semi-modern history, but still going back a, a couple of decades or so, uh, David Lloyd's two-fifth book, um, yeah. which he uh, which he published uh, a couple of years ago, still available. If you go to uk, T-O-O-F-I-F. Um, I know he's still got some copies to shift and uh, <laughs> that definitely gives you a lovely kind of illustration of Fulham through the years via the fanzine, the historic Fulham fanzine. So um, Patrick, that would be my uh, recommendation if there was one book that probably gives you uh, a nice, fun uh, insight into, into everything to do with the club. Uh, thank you for all your questions today. Um, we've got a load of great emails as well from several different people. I'm going to save them for the return of the Thursday club, which is, um, on Thursday, would you believe with Jack and Peter, I finally managed to track them down, uh, from their various escapades and other jobs that they do. Uh, so we are doing a Thursday club and uh, I'll save some of the emails for then. Let's do a quick preview of Leicester away on Tuesday. I fully lost track of what day it is. I don't know. It is apparently a Sunday today. Tomorrow is apparently a Monday, but I'm not 100% sure. Apparently, Don, this game is on Tuesday. It's at the King Power. I've never been to the King Power. I'm excited to go. Um, I don't know what to make of Leicester. They were shit at the start of the season. They got a lot better. They've not been great since the restart. They got pummeled by Newcastle. They lost narrowly at Liverpool with two of the best own goals that I've seen in a while. They'd definitely make the Vinnie Jones blooper reel if he still made it. Yeah, hopefully Wesley Fire's still on the same goal-scoring run. He can continue that on um, Tuesday night and get another couple. But uh, no, yeah, Leicester's a bit of a weird one. Um, I don't actually think our record there in recent years is actually that good. Um, I think the first time I remember going there, I think it was 06, 07, 
the Montel the sort of the Mont- the two games at Montella. I think yeah. the first game, uh, I think I think it was the Walker Stadium at the time, maybe. But I think Montel that was when Tot- Montella yeah, made his debut, and obviously he scored in the replay. Then yeah. there was the yeah, then there was the cup game. I think we lost four three. I remember Caraguna scoring an absolute belt of a free kick, mm. and then I think Lloyd Lloyd Dyer scored literally like two minutes later. And I think that was one of I think that's when fans really started to turn on Martin Yol. Then obviously. Um, I think in the our first season back up in the Premier League, I think we lost 3-1, I want to say. I think Aite scored. Obviously, we won in the behind closed doors, but obviously there wasn't any fans there. So our record there in recent years isn't the greatest. But, you know, if you look at Leicester and the way we've been playing this season, there's no reason we can't get at them. I mean, especially if you do what Newcastle did. And what we've done in a lot of games this season is sort of attacking teams early on. And if we can start the game the same way we started away at Palace, then there's no reason we can't cause them problems. I'm looking at this game mainly just because obviously the upcoming run of fixtures in regards to, you know, Chelsea twice, uh, Newcastle, Spurs, Brighton. So I think we should be looking at, tar- I always said in out of this and the Southampton game, we should be targeting four points just so we had to get the points on the board and then go and then go into that run of fixtures so we have sort of a bit of breathing space. But the way Leicester are playing, if they play like they did against Newcastle in their last home game, I, I feel like it, this is something we, you, we can kind of tap into is that if you can get the fans on their backs quite early on, then I think we can have quite some success on Tuesday night. So I think, yeah, it's it's going to be an, an interesting game to see which Leicester turn up because it's not like they're, they're, they're a terrible team. They've got terrible players. I know James Madison's probably still out injured after having gone to London to have surgery on another knee or ankle injury. I can't remember which one it was, but yeah, I think it's an interesting game to see what Leicester turn up, and if we turn up to our best, if you just look, if you if you just go by the league table, you know, there's no reason why we can't get another three points and make it three wins out of three in the festive period. Yeah, um, losing James Madison Farrell obviously a huge blow um, to to Leicester. Uh, I still look at this team and think it's packed with a lot of talent. I always think Harvey Barnes is such a, a wonderful player. And, and Voutfez, despite the two own goals, has actually been a real addition to, at centre-back. They were conceding goals for fun earlier in the season. And I think his addition at centre-back kind of stops the bleeding a little bit there for, for Leicester. And they seem a little bit more robust defensively. Um, but I look at this game now and I look at most Fulham games thinking there's no reason we can't get three points. It feels weird that there's a chance that Fulham could get three in a row in the Premier League, but I see no reason why Fulham can't win this game. As we said throughout the first sort of half of this season that we've picked up our points early and, you know, every sort of points we're getting from this, from sort of on top of that are just bonus points at the moment. So, you know, going there and getting a draw would, would be great to be honest. Um, you know, and another one yeah. of, if you can call them relegation rivals is dropping points. So that's, so that's also good as well. But, you know, yes, we are one of the, you know, we are definitely in form at the moment and playing well. And if you look at Leicester's form, you're probably thinking the opposite. However, that's not really, doesn't really tell the whole story. I watched the Liverpool Leicester game the other night. Leicester did look pretty good, to be honest. They did create quite a few chances. And it was only two unfortunate own goals that meant that they lost the game, really. Um, you know, and you're quite right in saying mm. that people like Harvey Barnes's quality. However, he was, he, how much he tried to try and take on Trent Alexander-Arnold, who isn't the best one-on-one, let's be honest. And he wasn't getting the better of him. You know, we'd hope that Harvey Barnes is on that type of that type of form. Um, but then you've got people like Jewsbury Hall is, I think, is a quite a good person to have instead of James Madison, really. And we know how how dangerous people like Avardi can be. Ian Nacho had a great second half of last season. You know, um, he didn't play that well the other night anyway. But yeah, Leicester are still a dangerous team. I think they're they're. Um, they're in a bit of a false position and I think they will get out of it. We know how good Brendan Rodgers is as a manager. It's just a weird spell for them the last six months or so, really. They'll, they'll get out of it eventually, but hopefully they don't start their run on, on Tuesday night. John, uh, have you ever been to Leicester? Any happy memories? I've uh, never been. Uh, I never went to... No, I haven't. And uh, it's, this game's not on telly, is it? Is there a, no. anywhere we can watch this? No, uh, I don't think it is. Yeah, I think other than if you can get on VIP League or .es or well, right. something something like that, um, yeah. then uh, that's not a real website, by the way. I mean, no. it's, a, it's, a, it's a very close one. I don't know what the names of the streaming websites are these days. But yeah, no, not on telly. It's going to be, a, um, and it's a difficult one to get to. There's uh, the strain strikes, but yeah, I think no. 1,500 heading up to, to Leicester on a Tuesday night, which I think wow, is a, a good... Good effort by our, by our point of view. Um, John, do you think that you'd um, you'd go unchanged again? Or is there anyone that maybe you'd think you'd like to see uh, start in this game? Uh, no, I think the, the side that's just got six points out of six seems like a good way to start. Um, 
yeah, maybe maybe look at the subs. Um, I mean, I think Bobby was slightly under par, but he's a great player for us, and you know, got a great goal against Palace when we were playing against eleven men. So, no, I think probably start with that eleven. I'm available, you know, if Jose, you know, is, is a bit short in the middle, but um, I keep putting my foot on the show, and he never, it never makes the call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would go. Um, I don't see any mad reason to uh, to change up the lineup personally, um, other than like you know, and also we've got this cup game coming up against Hull, which will give everyone probably 10 or so days rest because you'd imagine we're going to make quite a lot of changes maybe not full changes but you imagine we're going to make seven or eight yeah. changes for that Hull game so there's yeah. a break coming up for a lot of this squad I imagine Mitrovic is definitely not playing in that Hull game um, with him trying to kind of nurse that foot back into uh, into action so yeah I see no real reason why we wouldn't uh, why we'd make uh, too many changes for this one right uh, we have uh, gone quite far over today the uh, the normal hour but uh a lot to pack in. Uh, another big late win for Fulham. Farrell, uh, what would you like to go for as the podcast name for today? I've been torn a little bit while reviewing the the three word reviews again. I did really like Deus Ex Palinia, but I think it's a bit too niche, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it's very highbrow. Very highbrow. It is quite highbrow. Uh, we, I mean, I didn't have to. I promise I didn't have to look up what Deus Ex Machina was, but because I've heard it quite a few times and then. <laughs> remember how it's actually what it actually means but i'm actually going to go for kieran mcginley's saint george's day uh i'm going to use some artistic license and extend this st to saint so it's got more of the the southampton vibe to it yeah i think it was the i think it was the perfect name and um yeah and what a way to, to uh, pay tribute to george then two wins in two for fulham's forever number two it was uh written in the stars wasn't it um that we would uh, get those six points uh for george and that is all for the podcast today thank you very much for listening and thank you very much to my guest john o'farrell lovely to have you back on thanks a lot enjoy myself don betts thank you pleasure as always mate farrell thank you Thank you very much. So the podcast will be back on Thursday. Uh, looking back at that Leicester game, the Thursday club reunites finally. Myself, Jack and Peter looking back at that Leicester game and looking ahead to the Hull City match, which is in the third round of the FA Cup. Uh, the return of this will catch on and all your emails as well uh, in that podcast. But until then, have a lovely start to your week if you're heading back to work or whatever. If you're heading up to Leicester, safe travels, maybe see you there. And hopefully we can make it three wins in three. And I did promise someone on Twitter the horn would return if we make it three wins in a row. So let's see. But until then, have a good one. Come on, you guys. Nice.